Hello. How's it going? Good. Do I sound okay? Sound normal. normal. Normal's good. Normal is what I was looking for. <coughs> oh, there's there's my John Roderick cough. Uh, <laughs> good, good, good. So I'm I I texted you. We're we're trying to figure out um, uh, time to uh, when when we need to connect. You had to make some tea. I, I just spent the last twenty minutes uh, setting up a a new iMac for recording. Um, and, and it's not entirely true. I actually downloaded Skype and call recorder yesterday. Um, n- not yesterday on Friday, I guess it was because yesterday was Sunday. Um, and, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to set it all up. And then I did a couple of test calls and I sounded really bad in the test calls. So I was like, Oh, that's weird. I'm, it all seems to be working fine on my end. So I'm glad that I sound good. Yeah, that's weird. And call recorders working like it's all it's yeah. So but it just sounded like I don't know. Sometimes those test calls sound like even the audio coming from the test call doesn't sound good. You sound good. I yeah. sound good. You sound yeah. Good. I noticed I noticed that as well. Like the test call audio quality. Um, yeah, it's like they're uh, it's like they're they're kind of like shortchanging you on the bandwidth or something. Right. Right. Do I do I sound like I'm yelling at you? No. Like does sound really loud? No, you sound normal. I mean, I can I can make you be loud because I can turn the volume up. No, no, ears, no, no, don't make no, me be loud. No, you sound you sound perfectly normal. Yay! All right, well here here we are. So I have, um, I don't think I mentioned this, but I got a um, I I have now transitioned to a, a desktop iMac with a, a like a, a 27 inch iMac with a 27 inch um, secondary Thunderbolt display that's like from 2012, which I love that I've you know that I've been using with a laptop. So now I got a system where. I am back to this. This is fascinating for nobody except for you. Oh, I'm interested. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm now back to um, only Wait, are you, carrying. Are you saying you're back to the Mac, Ben? I'm back, well, I'm back to the Mac. Once you go Mac, you never go back. <laughs> so I'm. <laughs> um, I I'm now carrying my um, uh, MacBook Adorable, mm-hmm. um, as, as it's known that that has the um, verify our range to target. One ping only. I get Hello? Hello? Whoa. You disappeared. Is it bad? You disappeared and you were oh. back. What happened? I, I don't know. I didn't go anywhere. What, could you hear me talking to you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. All I heard was like, so it was like you were uh, send one ping, you know? I said, <laughs> I said, send one, one blink, blink once for yes and twice for no. Yeah, I thought you were in a submarine there. Bing. Oh, bing. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad good. you're okay. Uh, we'll see how that turns out uh, in the edit. We'll, well, we'll, we'll it, fix I, it all. We'll it fix should, it all. Yeah, it should sound fine because uh, I could hear you and my call recorder was recording. Hmm. Um. So, so I'm using a MacBook Adorable that's got a food safety talk decal decal um on it. And I have this uh, very tiny uh, Patagonia Atom bag. I, I don't think we've talked about this. I've no. gone to like I've got basically gone to a uh, um, like a what what some people in my life refer to as my fanny pack. <laughs> so um, that's not very uh, nice. It was. Well, I'm fine with it. I'm leaning into it. Uh, <laughs> so it's an eight liter Atom bag, and uh, oh. we'll link to this in show notes. Mm-hmm. It's a sling. And uh, I love it. So it fits my iPad and it fits my MacBook adorable. And then I got a uh, so I, so I have a MacBook at home that um, that stays on a desk, and I've got a, an iMac here in my office. And then I move this thing back and forth. It's it's simplified my life. 
And I, I mean, I love, I love this little bag. I can fit everything in it that I need. So, so getting, having, hmm, um, it simplified your life, but, but it's increased the computers that you have. Right. But, but it's, but it's decreased the, the size of the computer that I move. Hmm. Okay. Cause I, I was moving, um, a MacBook air back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's not, it is not changed that, but now I have this, like, I, I do have a fanny pack that I, I almost never take the MacBook adorable out of mm-hmm. that, that stays with me. So when I, if I need to go, just like, have you, have you seen the movie? Keep a, Heat? <laughs> I was going to say, keep a small backpack, but that's a different yeah. podcast. I got, right. Right. Just like in the movie heat, when, uh, Robert De Niro says he's ready to go at any time, I'm ready to go at any time. I got a, I got an iPad. I got a, a little MacBook ready to go. I will, I, I can run. Um, <laughs> and I love it. I, I absolutely love it. So, so anyway, this, but this is the first podcast that I'm recording on this, this new iMac. Um, and, uh, so, so hopefully it all goes well and it's, it's running Mojave. 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 Chipotle. Chipotle Mojave. Mojave. Um, so yeah. Uh, oh, so yeah. how do you like Mojave? Well, before we get to the food safety talk. I've, I've now been running it for a week, I guess, since I got this, uh, this iMac last Monday and it's I, I noticed no difference. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, it hasn't. I, there, I guess all the Mojave functionality that's on it, I, I, maybe I don't use, but it, it's the same as everything else that I've been using the last year. And and you didn't lose any apps that you need. No, I started fresh, right? Mm. So no. so so I've just done. So so here, let let me go across what's on my dock. Um, you know, there's there there's a, I, I'm using Apple Mail. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using um, photos. Uh, messages, Skype, Slack, the, the, the office, uh, three office things, uh, Excel, Word, PowerPoint, uh, news, iTunes. Oh, that's pretty much all I use. Hmm. I don't, I don't really do anything else. Everything else is, yeah, that's pretty much a, that, 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 that runs the gambit. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't lost any, any apps. And what do you use for text editing? You just use Word? Oh, so sorry that, that, let me go back on that. Uh, no, I, there, there are three other apps that I do use, uh, drafts, um, and, um, notability, which, uh, I use almost primarily on my, um, uh, on my iPad mm-hmm. and then Evernote mm-hmm. and, and I haven't Evernote and drafts are essentially doing the same thing for me, but I, I keep different things in each app and I can't really explain why. Um, but well, yeah, as long as you know, which is where that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I use drafts a lot, um, and, and, and start writing almost everything there. Yeah. I'm, I am very, speaking of drafts, I'm very excited for, um, the, uh, this week's due by Friday. The redraft. Yeah. Well, and yeah, so, uh, they're going to talk about drafts and yeah, so I'm very excited. So yeah, so I, I want to, I, I want to learn to be, I want to get better at drafts. So, so one of the things that really helped me with drafts and this is, um, uh, one of Merlin's tips, uh, I think, and it might've been, a, a back to work. He was talking about how each pe- like people in his life that he works with a lot, use their different devices differently. He mentioned something about using drafts on his watch. Mm-hmm. And since I got the, the five, the fifth generation series five, I've been using drafts on my watch a lot. Hmm. Um, and, and just like, I'm, it, it's got a much better Siri 
pickup or interface, not interface in the right word. What it, it the, the Siri and voice dictation works so much better on my new watch than it did on my, on my older one. And so I'm, I'm doing a lot of like just text or speaking directly to drafts. Um, from my watch while I'm driving or on the ice or whatever. So what, how do you invoke that? Um, I, I hit the, the, I'll, I'll go through right now. I hit the little wheel mm-hmm. and then I go to drafts on there and mm-hmm. then it, it, then it gives you a little, uh, um, microphone and oh, I hit the microphone and oh. I say, um, text something to Don about drafts and how awesome it is. And then I hit done and then it goes into my drafts and then it shows up everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I've been, yeah. A- anyway, that, so no, it really going to Mojave has mm-hmm. not changed anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but let me tell you the biggest transition that I've had is I now have a keyboard that is not affixed to a laptop. And, uh, I, I have the the um, Apple magic keyboard. The, do you have one of those? Do you use these? I do not. Um, I have a connected keyboard at my office, and at home I have a um, uh, solar-powered Logitech that probably was also recommended by Merlin Mann, the K760. The K760. Um, I So I, I now have an Apple n- uh, numeric pad magic uh, keyboard, and I've only been using it for a couple of days. And I'll tell you, this, is, this has been the largest transition. Where the delete button is, because oh, when I type, I delete mm-hmm, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's in a, it's, it's in the. So this is the thing that I can't figure out. Don, it's in the exact same spot, <laughs> the exact same spot as it is on my laptop. Yet, sixty percent of the time, I hit the function key instead of delete. Is, I, I don't know why. But where was it on the keyboard that you were using before? Exact same spot. But really? but the difference is so. So for the last like 10 years, some, something like that, I have, I have typed exclusively on a laptop keyboard and it's a full size keyboard. Um, and the delete, like, like it is the exact same. The, the only difference is that on my laptop, it's at the end of the laptop. There's no other key. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I know, I guess, and this is where I'm running into trouble is when I, when my finger is is going for that delete it's it's not the last key and so maybe i'm still looking for another my, my baby fingers looking for another key um so, and so there's it's a key, finding something there's a key to the right of it or there's a key yeah. above it there's the a key right. to the right of it. what's the key to the right of it function fn wait which which keyboard i got a it's it's a uh, magic keyboard number pad Oh, oh, okay. I'm looking it's at a long, the, it's a long oh, guy. It's the big boy. Yeah. It's a big boy. Yeah. So there's, so there's a delete. And, and so this is what I've explored today that I haven't figured out. I actually want to change that function key to just be a delete key. Now. <laughs> I want a delete. And it's weird because there's a delete and then there's a function and then right below the function, it's there's delete. another delete. Yeah. Key, and I want all three of them to be delete. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure you can remap that. I think I can. You, you I just can, haven't figured out yeah, how to do that. Yeah, you have to go. You have to go into settings. <laughs> there's yeah, there's settings, but even keyboard. Like I think I gotta customize a keyboard. I mean, it's it's pretty easy I'm to do. do. I mean, we could yeah. do it. We could do it right now here on the podcast, but we would lose the few remaining <laughs> listeners that we have that haven't skipped this part. 
That's right. That's true. So, so anyway, that's, yeah. But it, isn't that like, it's weird. That is the only thing that has been a problem for me is I'm hitting function all the time. Yep. So, so anyway, that's, uh, but yeah, I, I like being a desktop guy again. And what now, so let's the detailed keyboard yeah. talk. Um, why, why do you, do you like having, do you need the numeric keypad? Because you could just get the regular magic keyboard without the numeric and, and it would be I, the same. I, so, so I have one of those too. Uh huh. But what I like about the numeric is it's got, it, it really is the arrow keys because I use the arrow keys a lot. Oh yeah. And it's on its own, right? Yep. Like it's not the four little guys. Yep. 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 It's, it's out on the, on its own. And I, I, I bet that I will never use the numeric key itself. All I really wanted was, was the, was the arrows. Right. Right. Well, you know what you uh, should, what you should do is maybe like just cover over all those keys. Like, you know, I would say cut them off, well, but that might mess up the electronics, but you could just put like a little, like a, like a little, uh, like a little cover, a little shell, a little protective shell over that. I could, I could, but I think, I think a better way is that, and this is what I'm probably going to do. Everything that is right of the delete key, that <laughs> is not the four arrows is going to be delete. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't really matter where I go. Yeah. yeah. That's all oh, that. I, you, hey, here's the thing. If deleting is a big part of your workflow, why not have 20 keys that are all delete? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's, it, there's, there's a 90% chance that that's going to happen this afternoon. <laughs> um, that's, that's what I'm leaning towards. Um, so, but. So here's the thing about the like I, I thought what I thought you were gonna ask is why why did I why did I become a, a a desktop boy all of a sudden yeah. and uh. but so so I'm you know why like ten years ago there was no Dropbox wasn't as seamless as mm -hmm. it was yep. I, I worried about like I and and it's stupid things like this like I worried about getting on a plane and not having access to everything. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about that as much anymore, mm -hmm. and because of Dropbox, at least I have all my files. And because when I get on a plane now, I got internet, I can get yep, onto my, yep, my yep. email, like everything has kind of changed. So, so I had this opportunity where, um, where I thought, you know, I'd like, maybe I need to get back in the desktop game and, and, and try to change my, like change what I'm doing. So I'm not moving this, this laptop back and forth and plugging it in and having just one place. Um, so, and I've really enjoyed it. Um, so, so anyway, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Hmm. Well, that's the, thanks for that update. You're welcome. Uh, I am. I'm very. I'm very excited to get my 16-inch MacBook Pro, uh, which has the full-size arrow keys, I believe. Um, yes. Uh, but it was. I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but it was. Um, I ordered it in November, but um, that's like the Seinfeld bit. <laughs> you're yeah, you, you're, you're good at the taking the orders. You're just not good at placing the orders. So uh, <laughs> the the people at the the university. Um, basically the university Apple store people, it's not an Apple store, but, uh, they didn't place the order. And since it's a, it's a custom one, it has to come from China. So it should be coming soon. That's the, that's a, a exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, now, will you run the Mojave on that? Uh, I have no choice, Ben. It will come with Mojave. So well, you have a choice. You can, well, you can back, backload I could, something. Yeah, right? I, I could, but I know I'm going to, at that point, I'm going to go to Mojave. The, the last, the last main thing that I needed, I think, to make me fully mojave up is I needed a text editor that wasn't uh, TextMate. And so I've been, for the last week, uh, month or so, I've been running uh, BB Edit. Um, and because, I mean, it should be able to do anything because it's a really good editor. And I tried a couple times and I never could get it to stick. And now I'm just committed to 
getting it to work and may basically do all of the very simple things I usually use in text, you do in TextMate. And uh, I, I think I'm there, right? The last one was just getting the, getting it to show markdown the way that I want it to show. Um, and I've got that done. And it's super, super customizable. And I, I ran the, the uh, pay mode in for free for a month and now it's in free mode. I think I, I'm not, I mean, I, I might just give them some money just to give them some money, but I don't need the advanced features, but I, I basically got it to do everything I needed to do. So, yeah, uh, that's cool. I, have you, so, okay, th this of course will be very nerdy um, for everyone. Have you ever, um, and I don't know if BB Edit or TextMate does this, but have you ever done anything in, in LaTeX, LaTeX? Uh, I have not, and I it does not. Um, but Do you yes, know what, you know what I, that is? I absolutely know what it is. It is it is a very very cool thing that at some point I thought I should learn to do because it was what the really cool sciencey people did for all their equations. Um, uh, and I I believe it's pronounced LaTeX or or LaTeX, yeah, but but I don't know no. how to say it. And, yeah. But but it's one of those things where it's like if I had infinite time, I would go and learn about it, but. I mean, sadly, I'm just I'm stuck with um, equation editor in Word because I mean, you know, that's the that's the people the people that I might want to write equations with for manuscripts all use Word. So yeah, I so I, I just wrote a um, a proposal which I mentioned to you earlier today when we were talking with mm -hmm. um, with a couple of colleagues in statistics that do all the oh, math and stuff they, and they and they do a LaTeX or LaTeX. La, yeah. Yeah. Or and 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 so I got a very like not a cryptic note mm -hmm. but it, a text when I was like, hey, we they, they sent me a PDF and I was like, hey, can I edit this? Like, can you put it into Google Docs or or Word or something? And he said, well, what do you do? You do LaTeX? It, it, or and which I read as, do you do LaTeX? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Is what that a sex thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, what is this? Who is this? Um, anyway, then I then I googled it and found it, and I used Overleaf for it, um, and it was cool. It, it just took a little bit to figure out, but it does a lot of. It has a lot of neat functionality that was useful, and that it was clear that's how that that was their workflow. So yeah. I kind of like made it into that. Yep. yep. Um, which anyway, that was yeah, it was it was. Uh, it, it was interesting, but I'd never used that before. Yeah. So, um, Don, I have a question for you just to, to move to, to something else. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it's, it's serious. Mm -hmm. Um, it, uh, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to read you uh, an email that I received and, but I'm going to, I'm going to place your name into it instead of my name. <laughs> Dear Dr. Donald Schaffner, I hope, hope this email finds you in best of health and spirit. As we observed that you have a great area of expertise in food science, period, we believe that this Food Microbiology 2020 conference will be a great platform for you to share your capitalized knowledge, capitalized ideals, and, and capitalized experiences regarding food, which is not capitalized, science, which the science is capitalized. It will be a great pride and honor for us to invite you to be the speaker at the fifth annual conference on food microbiology and food market 2020 during May 4th, 5th, 2020 at Vancouver, Canada. Food microbiology and food market conference is mainly focusing on theme, accentuating new advances in food market for healthy living. We are hopeful that your support and cooperation will make this event successful. We are hoping you accept this invitation. If you could kindly revert us back, revert us back, it will be possible for us to provide you with additional information like benefits of capitalized participating as a capitalized speaker and about capitalized participating certificates, uh, any other queries you require. Hoping to hear from you. Best regards, Paul Adams. 
<laughs> I I want to say either Paul typed that in a hurry or Paul might not be um, good with capital E English. <laughs> capital, Paul might be bot, botting. So I – all right. So so this is – the reason why I, I, I played a little bit of a game, Don. Uh, I played a little, little internet game. And uh, you and I have talked uh, briefly about um, – uh, predatory conferences and predatory journals and, and you know, on numerous occasions we've, we talked a little bit about this and you know people want to advertise on food safety talk which if, if you listen we don't do a lot of advertising or want to you know they would be um happy to to link to our blog um and our yeah, they, or they want they want they want to write an article for our for our pot our blog which is a podcast yeah yes yes so so this is the second email that i received from paul um the first one was very similar to that but instead i got invited to be the keynote speaker at the fifth annual conference on food microbiology and food market 2020 during may 4th 5th 2020 at vancouver canada and so yeah you're looking at this uh, it's uh, food micro events at gmail.com conference manager food conferences i do a little digging and it's it's an omics 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 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh, uh conference and they they bo- boast that they have 3000 conferences a year which is a lot of conferences that's mm-hmm. that that's almost 10 conferences a day um that they that they have and and so I responded and I and I said just like I would in in a, another you know kind of invite. Hi Paul, thanks for reaching out. Assuming you were able to cover cover travel expenses, just to see where this would go. Mm-hmm. I receive a message back. Dear Benjamin, greetings from Food Microbiology 2020. We are glad to receive a response from you. As we are from non-funding organization. We cannot afford travel expenses. We can give you a discount regarding registration prices. Please feel free to contact for any other details. Kind regards, Paul Adams. And so I respond, and just in my, you know, the the way that I like to respond, my response was just no thanks. So so Don, that was on January. That started uh, a, the conversation was January twenty third to twenty seventh that we, that Paul and I went back and forth. January thirty first, I receive. Another invite. This time, not to be the keynote. I guess they found someone else, but to be a speaker. Um, and and then, best part about this is about ten minutes after I receive I, I receive that, I get an email from a colleague in my in my department who doesn't do anything with with food safety, who also received this, and he forwards it to me and says, "I'm not sure whether you've received this message. You may have some interest about this event." Oh. And I was like, no, no, this is, and you know, this is a predatory conference. These these folks are pretty slimy. And then um, I, you know, sent him back a, a little bit about them. Uh, and so anyway, I respond to Paul Adams um, and with the exact same. And in fact, I copy my answer uh, from my last one. Hi, Paul. Thanks for reaching out. Assuming you're able to cover travel expenses, I receive a very similar response. We are so glad to see a response from you. As we are a non-forming organization, we cannot assist you financially. In that case, and this was a little bit different, we would we would like to suggest to you to participate in a video presentation so that your video would be displayed in the conference without your presence. Mm. And then I go find it, like go look look at their at the website. And uh, lo and behold, you know, for instance, it's led by Conference Series LLC Limited. Um, there are uh, different ways to, um, uh, register for it. Uh, and so if you look at register now, uh, clicking here, uh, here, are, here are the pricings. 
they're all in in euros, and so I think uh, I think our British friends can't can't pay this with the pound um, after after Brexit. But now uh, uh, on or before February fifteenth, um, I, I can register as a speaker for six hundred and sixteen euros, um, or I can do a video presentation and pay uh, one hundred ninety five euros. Um, and, uh, and pay 195 euros to record a video and have it play at the conference. This, so anyway, I've, I've never really gone down this path of like engaging with these. I usually just delete it. But the reason why I did this is I, I came across a really great predatory conference podcast that I sent you, oh, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, last week and I'm going to click on this. Um, and it's, uh, from a, a podcast that I don't actually like listen to, but it's a podcast called Nurses and, Hi- and Hypochondriacs. And it's a, a very, very cool podcast about predatory conferences and the dark side of fake conferences and publishing where uh, Jeffrey Beal is interviewed. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So so anyway, um, I, it, it is actually a really fascinating um, listen. I would recommend this podcast to um, to any of our listeners uh, because if you're listening to this, you're probably close enough to the world of food safety and science that that these things come up. But the um, one of the or the host of the podcast actually went to a predatory conference and she talks about her process or, or talks about what happened. Uh, and it was with Jeffrey Beal, and it was really, really cool. So Jeffrey Beal from the Beals List, which is now retired, as is he, uh, uh, on um, predatory conferences. Um, but yeah, these uh, this Omics group, um, they're they're pretty slimy, and they had to pay a. Uh, uh, and I think we did talk about this a while ago, but um, they they uh, were. Um, uh, fined 50 million by the federal trade commission, uh, for being, being predators and false wow. advertising of what, what happens. Yeah. So we'll link to this. Uh, this was in a blog called the scientist, uh, Omics international find over 50 million over deceptive practices. Um, and so they publish over 700 journals and organize over 3000 conferences and, um, they also claim to have over 50,000 leading experts as editors for their journals, but there are so many people that are on those lists that have never received manuscripts to review or are not aware that their names were even on the editor's list. Um, and uh, same thing that you know, conferences list people as speakers and, and, and no one has actually gone to these speakers or not really listed. And there's a nice uh, article in the New York Times about this, about this group. So, so anyway, lots of predatory journals, lots of predatory uh, conferences all linked to this Omax place. Yeah. So the, yeah. So this is the we'll we'll uh, we'll link to the page that has uh, their predatory conferences uh, podcast. It's um, April fifteenth from twenty nineteen. Um, <clears throat> we'll also link to the Wikipedia page about omics, and then uh, there's an article uh, that I, I recommend uh, called "Inside a Fake Conference: A Journey into Predatory Science" uh, from. Um, Ooh, some uh, fellow whose first name I'm not going to try to pronounce, Mackenzie, who's a science writer um, uh, that was published in uh, Technology Networks, which I've linked to before, uh, which is it's just like this basically, you know, it's, it's about he goes to a, one of these fake conferences. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty scary and, and pretty interesting stuff, too. So, yeah. And I mean, I guess the thing before we leave this, the thing that I didn't think about so much until I listened to the podcast was um, you know the the podcast host inter- talked to a couple of people 
at these conferences and they're in like places like San Diego and Hawaii, like really, really nice places. Mm -hmm. And, and these were folks who were, um, academics who, who were, were essentially like, yeah, yeah, I'm in on the scam, right? Like I, I pay, um, I, I use my, my funds, uh, from a, from a grant or from my university, which is not kind of how you and I work. We don't get budget from our universities to go travel to, to conferences or present. It's usually stuff that we've generated from, you know, from other areas, uh, to go. But, but these folks, um, kind of said to her, yeah, I come to this thing. Um, and yeah, it's nice to come to San Diego. I pay, uh, you know, a thousand bucks and I get to come to San Diego for a couple of days and then I get to put it on my CV that I was an invited keynote speaker mm. and that's super, like, I never thought about it from that side of things. I thought about it from the, you're trying to get me as an academic to come and use my name and, and get other people to pay, um, as participants. But I never thought about the, I don't know, just the, the sleaziness of, Oh yeah, I know. I know this is total BS, and and I'm going to use my funds to just pad my CV and and go to San Diego. Yeah, yeah, that's well, and it's the same reason why you would publish in a predatory journal. It's like right. I, I can get a publication, and it doesn't have to be good quality, and uh, has a, the journal has a name that sounds like a, like a legitimate journal, but it's not. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I, sadly, I would uh, I would probably I, I think I would probably well well yeah. So so when I and so this is kind of the, the time of year when I'm writing letters for people that are up for promotion, right? And I would hope that I would notice um, if somebody was not – was doing this kind of scam, right? Like because I would know the names of the journals that, that you should be publishing in and I would know the conferences and the uh, societies and associations that you should be involved with. And I would hope that I would sniff out, um, you know, if there's some some funny business going on. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But – so, I mean, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because that's some of the, that, that was kind of the, my thought of, well, as I was listening to this podcast episode was I don't think I do my due diligence in reviewing stuff if it's outside of my food safety world, right? Like, like I, I think it would be difficult for me, for someone in my department who's not, you know, publishing in journal of food protection, food protection trends, um, you know, the, the food control, the British food journal, you know, like there's, there's a lot of, of, of journals that I'm familiar with cause I'm reading about, but if it was someone who was adjacent to my field, I, I might not, I might know enough about the field to say, Oh, those are the right words. But, but is that a real journal or is that a fake journal or, you know, a predatory journal? It's not that they're fake journals. They are, you know, real, real publications just without any peer review process um, or, or a peer review process that's really, really suspect. Um, and then I wouldn't maybe even recognize the um, – that this was a predatory conference or not. And I, and I do think and, – and this is very much not – like I don't think that um, – I don't think there's anybody in my department who's who's doing this that I would review their stuff. But I'm also very trusting and not – I don't think I'm really going to that kind of detail of investigating each individual line in their in their dossier um, for these publications to check whether it's on Beale's list or not. Like I yeah. No, I'm not I'm not yeah. going through each line, but I am I am looking at all the publications, I'm looking at all the journal names. And if and if something looks amiss, I will dig in, right? Yeah. Um and if they if they're if they seem to be having a ton of keynote presentations for somebody that isn't at the point in their career where they would have a ton, I think I would dig in a little bit. 
you know, if, if it, if the, if the news looks too good to be true, um, yeah. I think I would do that. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's really, it's really unfortunate. Um, and, and I guess it's good that we're aware of it and, you know, we've had, there've been a couple of sessions at IAFP about this right. and I've had the privilege to be, um, a, a speaker at those sessions. And so that's, that's good, but yeah, it's something that we need, you know, we haven't always had this problem and we need to be vigilant and yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. It's an ongoing problem. Right, right, right. And there's, um, I think this is one of those ones where it's like awareness is good. Like I would, if, if you're in the academic world, just go listen to that, you know, 30 minute podcast to get a, to get a sense of it. Um, cause it, it just puts a different lens on the things that I'm looking at, uh, as someone who, who is aware of it, but not, I don't know that it just made me think about things differently. Um, so yeah. So I got, I mean, there's, there's stuff that we, we haven't, we haven't recorded. We haven't talked to you in a while. We, nope. you've been busy. We, we had a couple of episodes in the can and, um, and then you, you had a couple of field trips, uh, happen and, and then my kid, uh, had appendicitis, although that, that was just, and, you're, um, you're milking that not, <laughs> oh dude, I am, uh, it was I, well, not so, only appendicitis. He had, he had concussion and then he had appendicitis, not from yeah, the concussion. Yeah. So, you know, I think you could, you could milk those two for a while yet. I, I got a whole month out of it. Uh, I think, um, yeah, no, it's anyway. So we haven't, we haven't done a podcast in a while. Hey, um, speaking of, speaking of podcasts, um, I want to promote a new podcast, Ben. Ooh, ooh, is it, is it one that I'm familiar with? Like I might it, be a, I might be a co-host <laughs> of it. Yes. Yes. So, and part of the reason why we haven't had an episode of this podcast, food safety talk is that I've been procrastinating. Not procrast- I've, I've been, I've been busy not working on our other podcast and I, and I wanted to I, I just, I had like too much, too much to do. And so, but I finally got unblocked on it. And so I'm uh, very pleased to announce which a, a podcast, which we've already announced, but we will continue uh, to announce um, and promote. And, and that podcast, Ben, is called Risky or Not. Um, it is a, uh, it is a short uh, weekly-ish podcast. And I say weekly-ish because it's going to come out for a while, I think two times a week, and it might even go to three times a week to, so we can catch up, um, where we, that is you and me, Ben, answer your questions about whether something is risky or not. Um, on this podcast, Ben, we promise to do our best not to waffle, dither, dissemble, or equivocate, and to give you straight answers about whether something is risky or not. So, um, and I've done a little bit of promoting. Uh, I did buy some overcast ads, um, and, um, uh, I tweeted about it and we've already got people, uh, sending us questions about whether things are risky or not. So, um, really, I'm really excited about it and looking forward to, uh, looking forward to, uh, doing, doing future, doing the episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to the episodes we've already done coming out and I'm looking forward to uh, doing more episodes with you. I, I am as well. It's, uh, um, one of those ones that we, uh, you know, friends from the, from the internet, uh, I think we're, we're, we're pushing for a little bit saying, you know, you guys kind of answer these questions a lot with, uh, it, it's complicated and it depends. And this forces us to not do that. Yes. Just say, all right, how will we handle this here? How would we make this decision? And let's do it. Um, our, our goal is to do these in like 10 minutes or less where we talk about one specific question, jump into it. And, and you and I kind of vote, you know, uh, 
Siskel and Ebert style of thumbs up and thumbs down. And I, yeah, I've really enjoyed it um, as well. So, so please, if you like this, po- our podcast that you're listening to right now, food safety talk, you'll probably like risky or not. Um, and it gives you a little more, a uh, little more content from us um, and a little different, um, different focus or different form, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and as always go, go like rate and review it. Cause that helps us um, raise up and, you know, expose this to other people in the Apple iTunes world uh, for podcasts. And, um, and we, we appreciate your feedback. Yeah. And we're not, I'm not very good at it. Um, I probably should have done a more full featured launch because apparently the, the key to getting up there is to, is to really get a lot of people to talk about it on the very first day. And I just was not very good at that, but that's just not my style. So anyway, no. um, uh, you know, people so, are- so yeah, so, and it's fine. It's a good show. People will find it. Um, Oh, I, and I did so the, so the thumbs up, thumbs down thing. I did, I did finally solve how to deal with that, right? Because we were, I was thinking about it. It's like, well, Don and Ben are going to vote thumbs up, thumbs down. And so if something is uh, risky, it's thumbs up. And if it's not risky, it's thumbs down. But thumbs down implies that you're not going to, you should not do it. And so I was very confused, but I solved it. I, I finally, I, I broke from, so the, our wonderful logo by the amazing Kevin Budnick has a thumbs up and thumbs down. But um, on the episode, our ratings are um, thumbs up for not risky and biohazard for risky. There you so, go. So we're going to, we're going to code all of our answers over time, um, uh, with a thumbs up, thumbs down, uh, slash biohazard. So anyway, so, so that it. was that, yeah. So I so saw that was, that was helpful. And then I just got, got some time and I just sort of said, you know, you really just need to get this done. And so, yeah, so a couple episodes are up. Um, I also, it's a little bit complicated because we're hosting this one <clears throat> on Libsyn. Um, instead of on Squarespace so we can get better tracking information and it's a little bit, and then I think Apple has kind of changed the way that they do it. And so the way that you're going to see it is going to be different depending upon whether you subscribe to the RSS feed or whether you get it from Apple podcasts. And so try to figure out all of that, those moving pieces between Libsyn and Squarespace and, um, RSS and Apple podcasts was kind of, was a head scratcher for me, but it's not that hard and it's not perfect, but it's, it's just not, I mean, not, nothing I could do to would, would anyway, I kind of got, I figured all that out. And if, if all of that makes no sense to you, then don't worry about it. You're probably not a podcaster, but anyway, I got it all sorted out and it's, 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 I got a, I got a workflow down and now I just got to crank through the workflow. Perfect. Good, good. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, I'm, I, I'll do some more, uh, social media promotion, um, and, and make sure it's included in all my talks now as cool. well. Be like, cool. risky or not, risky or not. And it's a good, so, um, for those who listen to this podcast, cause we'll, you know, we probably won't do a whole lot of like, um, explanation of what we do on risky or not. It's really about like, you know, these quick, quick answers, yep. but, but if we do go do some live stuff, I think risky or not lends itself to that, right. For audience questions. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many, so and this was, you, this was when, when Merlin suggested this, it was a light bulb moment for me because so often <clears throat> We are asked a question that is essentially, is this risky or not? And, and, and it's just, and a lot, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what we talk about is, um, uh, dithering, dissembling, um, waffling, uh, uh, dissembling or equivocating. I think I got dissembling in there twice. Um, but, um, Um, but a lot of it is not, or at least it lends itself to, 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 to be, to give a straight up, straight up, uh, yes or no answer. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's good. It's a good thing. I'm, I'm so, I'm so pleased that Merlin suggested it. I'm so, I'm so pleased that he was 
kind enough to, to uh, guest uh, co-host the first episode. Um, and I'm lo- just looking forward to getting them out there and, and doing it. Um, uh, in addition to this show, which is, which is just, it's a different kind of, kind of show. It's like, it's like the difference between, uh, I don't know, um, uh, writing a scientific article and writing a fact sheet or something, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cool. So I had a couple of things I wanted to tell you, talk to you about. That aren't and I got, that I got always, things. It always sounds like, it always sounds like I'm going to tell you about uh, a product that I really like, but of course we have no <laughs> advertisers and I, I, yeah. Um, so, okay. So one thing is this, this past weekend, um, I was part of an event here in my building, uh, as part of the, um, Dyna Igor teaching and research kitchens, which is the, the kitchens that I've talked about quite a bit over the last 18 months, uh, in my building where we do observation and training and research. And, uh, we celebrated one year in the kitchens on Saturday and wow. had, um, yeah, like 150 people come through and, and we, we had a, um, each of the programs that, that use the kitchen in a, in a, you know, daily basis, we, we came up with, um, dishes that kind of signified things that we were doing. And so, so my group, we, we did, um, uh, turkey meatballs that were, were like a, a Lebanese, uh, style meatball with a lot, of, a lot of spices with a, um, a labna, uh, like a, a, a garlic, uh, yogurt sauce. Um, because, and so I wanted to tell a little bit of the story. We, you know, almost all of the observations that we've done for the last couple of years have been either meatball related or turkey related. So we wanted to combine those, those two things. We do a lot of teaching around fermentation and yogurt, um, work as a model for, um, when we bring people in, uh, who are environmental health officers. So, so we like sort of combine those, those two things. And then the other thing we did is we sous vide, uh, a whole bunch of ribeye and, uh, and wrapped them in romaine lettuce. Um, and so, and sort of saying, all right, let's talk about sous vide, but also let's talk about romaine lettuce. Um, and so we were trying to be very, very clever with our, mm-hmm. with our dishes. Um, but, uh, but it was cool to look back on wh- like how much we use the, um, the kitchens over the last year. And so we, we kind of tallied up, um, what, like all of the things that we did in it. And we had, we, we did over, um, 944, well, not over exactly 944 observations. So like 940 people came through these kitchens and we watched them make food. And in some cases we put some stuff and swabbed and in other cases we, we just watched what they did for, um, cleaning and sanitizing. Sometimes we used eye tracking glasses, but it was like kind of cool to look back and be like, man, there's almost a thousand people in here. Um, and so, then we, so Ben, yeah. if, it, if it was me, <clears throat> I would be making who's in the kitchen with Dinah jokes constantly. Oh, uh, you, every day. Okay. Every all day. right. Just to be clear. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a running, it's a, it, let's just say that's not, that's our favorite folk song or, or Americana song. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of who's in the kitchen with Dinah that happens. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was cool. Like, I don't know. It's always good to like sort of look back and, and reflect and then count things up and be like, man, that was a lot. Like if my, my team or, you know, the, the group that, that runs this just thinking back and be like, man, we almost did this a thousand times. It's a lot of, it's a lot of little moving parts, uh, to pull together. So, um, so anyway, that was, I spent, um, some time last week getting prepared for that. And then we had this great, great big, um, event, 
uh, with with people who are close to our programs come in and just celebrate the the kitchens and uh, and then at the end we sang uh, who's in the kitchen with Dinah and then everyone went home. <laughs> so so I have a question about sous vide. So I think I am ready to. Um, I don't want to say pull the plug. That's not right. Uh, pull the trigger. Plug it. Uh, in. Yeah. Plug it. Plug um, in the sous vide. Pl- plug in the sous vide. So what for for me a you know n- admittedly nerve nerdy but sous vide um, naive person what should I what unit should I get? So I've met and, and the, again no no uh, um yeah I've I've tested a bunch of these the one that I like the best is uh, there's an Enova unit. Um, and it is called the Anova precision cooker and it's like a hundred and actually I'm going to send you the, you put this on your, uh, yep. your Amazon wish, wish list yep. if you want. Um, yeah, it's, this is the one that I used this weekend. This is the one that we, we take all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's the one that if I'm going to grab one, um, to like experiment with, this is the one I like. Um, yeah, Nova culinary sous vide precision cooker, Wi-Fi plus Bluetooth. And this, this specific unit, according to Amazon has been discontinued. Uh, but it's the one that I like. Hmm. Okay. There's gotta be another one too, but you can get it from Amazon. Okay. Uh, and then you need, a you need some container. You can, th- this thing will like go on a pot. I don't use that. I usually put this on a, on our, um, on a counter in a, um, uh, like a Cambro kind of, sorry, I'm moving around cause I've got one. I don't know who makes this one. It's a Rubbermaid. It's not a cam, uh, Rubbermaid 12 quart square. Um, uh, like I guess it's like a prep basin or something. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I'll yep. Can... Yeah. And in fact, uh, it looks like a Nova send sells a, a similar kind of a Nova branded thing. Um, yep the an Nova precision cooker container uh but the rubber made one is probably like yeah t- half the price or or more or or less yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, it's only yeah. 20 bucks for one of those and then you can get a lid with it that um that's got a cutout for the the immersion circulator oh ru- oh rubber made sells a cutout lid yeah oh yep. cool mm-hmm. yeah you also can get we we have these like ping pong balls they're kind of like beads that do the same thing as the lid actually like those better they're a little bit of a pain in the ass though like i like it better because they um when you open it up it doesn't let a bunch of steam out the pain in the ass part is like they get wet and you got to store them they don't like they're a little harder than just a lid um uh, how do they work so they float on the top yeah they float on the top weird yeah, they're they're like uh, sous vide um, ping pong balls. Yeah, they're there. Uh, yeah, you can get a whole bag of them for uh, two hundred fifty of them for eighteen bucks. Sixteen, sorry, seventeen dollars. Um, I, I yeah, I I like I like them better in use. I like them le- less in storage. Mm-hmm. Um, let me find you in here and you can see them now. So, yeah. So anyway, this is, that's what I would recommend. I think there's other, like there's other ones that are out there. It's just the one that we've, it's been the most, um, reliable in, in messing around with it. And it's the one that, um, it heats up really quickly. It works really well. Okay, cool. Um, and and I would start with ribeye. Like I I think it's the, it's very easy. Um, even if you don't have, um, 
like a food saver home vacuum sealer. Mm -hmm. Um, just doing it in, in a Ziploc bag and then squeezing all the air out works fairly well. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, 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 it does, it, it cooks things in a way that makes, takes a lot of guessing out of what temperature, like, is it done yet? Um, and, and it's, uh, it's someone, I was telling someone about it this weekend cause they asked, like we, we had the unit on display. So people were coming into the kitchens, t tasting our dishes. They're like, Oh, tell me about this, you know, this sous vide. And it's like, or this immersion circulator and how did you cook it and all that kind of stuff. And for me, if I'm going to do something sous vide, I'm going to do it on a weekend or I'm going to do it in a day that I'm, I'm working from home because it, it's going to take some time. The, the prep is very light, but it, it, it needs some monitoring and, um, it's not, I'm, I find that I use my, my instant pot a lot more during the week when I'm trying to cook a meal really quickly. Sous vide's not for, for quick meals. It's, it's for, um, precision, precision cooking, right? Like it's, it's, di it's different. So it's a, it's a weekend thing for me. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so, but I would, yeah, ribeye is really good. Salmon's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I I've done green beans. I've done, um, uh, the other, like uh, a few other dishes. How about chicken? Uh, yeah, I've done chicken. Uh, yeah, actually we, we do chicken quite a bit, um, in teaching, um, uh, teaching environmental health folks on it because it's it's fairly quick and you get a very um, a noticeable difference in quality in a chicken breast because it's just it's extremely moist. You know, you're not you're not drying it out um, at all um, through the through the cooking process like you would if you were baking it um, or even if you were pan frying it. Um, but but you you get a you know a instant pot. G keeps a lot of moisture in, but then it's, it's a totally different type of, um, I don't know, quality. It's almost, it, you know, you're using it for different things, but yeah, I think, uh, chickens, chicken's really good, um, as well. I've, I've done boneless, skinless chicken breasts. I've done chicken thighs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I've noticed when, when we make chicken and when my wife makes chicken, it's, it's usually, it's, it's not tender, right? Like I, I, right. I know it's just, it's not good even. Right. Well, I, I don't know if it's how they're raising chickens these days. Um, but yeah, something that would fix that would be great. I think that would, that would do it. I think part of it is as we try to get to 165, depending on the size of the chi the, the piece of chicken, you end up cooking the outside well over that to get the mm -hmm. internal temperature to one, 165. And sous vide solves a little bit of that because of that equilibrium with conduction heat as opposed to convection heat. Um, right, right. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I would definitely recommend that. Can, and also, can you send me an Amazon link to the, the, the Anova one that you like? Cause I yep. look, I just did a search and there's a bunch. So yep, yeah, yep. I'll send you that, um, as well. Thanks. And, and, and is there a particular food saver that you like? No, um, we actually, there is, but this is where this is real, um, pain in the ass stuff. The thing that I like is actually, um, a vac master, like a ah. commercial vac master. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause it works. So it really works so much better than the consumer ones. Okay. Like it's not even, it's not even close. Um, so I think all the, all the food savers are the ones that we've tested are all about the same. And, and truthfully, the difference between a Ziploc bag and and that is, it, unless I'm marinating something, I don't even know if there's that much of a difference. Yeah. You know, Ooh, it, and those vac masters—they're not cheap, are they? No, no, the vac master. Don't buy one of those for your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I they're, see. Not that. only are they yeah. cheap, not cheap, but they're like huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, they, they don't, um, I've not used, okay. So, and I say this, the one that like the, there is, I'll, I'll send you one that, um, is more like countertop consumer style that I can't vouch for, um, cause we haven't used it, but this is the style that we have. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a, um, yeah, it's, it's a pulls a vacuum and it's a ceiling bar. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but, but that's, and that's not a, uh, that's not a food saver. Right. Yeah. It's, oh, it is a vacuum. Oh, it's like a vacuum master a, kind of consumer. Yeah. Level one. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Oh, I see. Cool. But the, but the, the vac masters are the real, those are the, that's the real deal. Yeah. But and then, but then you need a, um, you know, a, a two foot by one foot, uh, storage space and they weigh like. 120 pounds. Yeah. We don't, we don't have, we don't have the kitchen space. So yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, what about, so what about for marinating? Cause so I do I, like, I do like marinated, have, have my meat marinated. So. Yeah. So and I, that, that's where I think there's the, there is a difference. I think I would, I would use the food serve, saver if I'm going to marinate something right. for ribeye or for steak. I usually don't, it's just right. like salt right. and pepper. Yep. And so yep. you could do that in a, yep. in a Ziploc style bag. Yep. Um, and then squeeze out there as right. much as you can. Right. Oh, good. Cool. Well, we well, thank well, thank now, you. Yeah, no problem. Now you got some some homework. Report back. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I'm. We'll see how fast I move on it. But I want. I did want to have the conversation. So. Good. 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 Um, and you know, friend friend of the show who listens on long walks, um, uh, Linda Harris. I think she she purchased one around the same time I started messing around with it. So we haven't really checked back in with her. We should ask her. Well, and I th- I think I think that's why it came up because I did recently visit Linda, um, uh, and and got to see her wonderful new place. Um, don't be creepy. Um, and, and I think we did talk about it. So yeah, that may be why it, it was. Uh, I she we she didn't use it while we were there, but I think <laughs> she might have talked about it, which kind of what is what bubbled it to the top, top of my brain. Right, got it. Hey, um, so I I want to I want to also talk about another thing that I did when I visited Linda in in UC Davis. I also visited um, Southern California and uh, yes. Newport Newport Beach. Yes, and yes. I and I signed a non disclosure agreement. Okay. Um, but the person who I signed the agreement with said it's, it's probably okay if I only say good stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I just want to say, um, I, I, I am. I let the record show. I am eating Chipotle again. Um, proudly. Uh, they, they, they really have done a lot, right? Like we we spent a half a day with them telling me all the things that they're doing and me asking lots of questions. And I was really impressed. Um, I'm really impressed with the team. Uh, I'm just really impressed with everything that they're doing. Um, I, I am ready. I've been back uh, with with free um, gift cards, which they sent. Um, but I'm ready to go back and pay my actual own money um, to get the stuff because it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm I was very impressed. Well, that's that's cool. And I don't want to push you too much because of the 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 NDA. But I, I wonder if. You know, if if they have this this um, trajectory model like Jack in the Box, where where there is a, a certain amount of time where public perception, and I think some of that still exists with people that are old like you and I, like um, OK Boomer, um, mm-hmm. old, um, but where where those who you know, I think about my grad students or other, you know my kids who have not you know didn't didn't live in a world where jack in the box led to an outbreak um where they had they turned the tide from a food safety standpoint 
and and did a really good job hiring lots of good people to change what they did culture-wise and how they approach food safety and have had just a, a um, from you know Dave Thino to um, uh, um, Anne Marine McNamara to you know lots of different people in at Jack in the Box from a food safety standpoint, sort of changing that that perception. So I I, I wonder if and hope that that Chipotle is also doing that same you know taking that same trajectory. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they have. I think they have turned the corner. They've figured out um, food safety. They're not willing to compromise quality. Um, you know, they want to deliver a high quality product, but they 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 also don't want to compromise food safety to do that, right? And they've made a bunch of changes that really enable them to maintain their quality standards at the same time, significantly improving uh, food safety. Cool. Well, that's good. Um, well, there was something I was going to mention about that. Mm, oh, oh, yeah, no. So this is the you know, I, and I didn't, uh, I didn't sign an NDA, but also didn't go visit. <laughs> but but I want, I had I was so I was at a meeting last week, um, and it was it was actually uh, I think I can probably talk about it. I mean, it's not it's nothing to do with food, but um, so I'm you know I mentioned that I'm part of our institutional review board um, after the incident that I did talk about on a podcast related to one of our participants getting really upset. I've been much more, much closer to IRB and NC state. And one of the things that we did, we do is have some ongoing training about new things. And one of the things that we were looking at was medical devices because we have a, um, a biomedical engineering program that, that is looking at testing medical devices and creating new ones. Anyway, during that training, um, it, it, some of the folks that are there are, um, also close to public health and, um, and and infection control and things like that in the university. And, and so we had this conversation over lunch because it was another quick serve me- Mexican um, uh, restaurant and, and it wasn't Chipotle, it was Moe's. So mm. nothing, you know, nothing against Chipotle. It was just, we, we were catered, uh, purchased Moe's for, for lunch for the, for the catering. And one of the people who was in public health said, oh, you know, I know too much. And I think this is before she knew I did food safety things. She's like, I know, I know too much. And I usually don't eat these, you know, Mexican style foods, but it's the only thing that's that's here. And she, she said, you know, ever since Chipotle, I basically stay away from all of this quote stuff. And I thought, wow, that's a really fascinating situation because the fallout for her wasn't just with one company. It's, it's the entire category of food that she has distrust for. And this is not like, it's not someone who is in the humanities. That's not in a, it's, don't say that in a, in a bad way against the humanities. It's not someone who's like, so this is someone who is close to the field who who's adjacent to food safety, who is basically making her own risk decision to say, you know, romaine, lettuce, Mexican food, cilantro, cilantro, guacamole. I just don't eat this stuff at all anymore. And I, I, you know, it it just struck me as, as, as kind of uh, as interesting. And I, and something from a fallout of, of these outbreaks is, um, it is, it's, it not only harms the individual business, but, but she's, she can't be the only person that's, that's making this decision, right? Like, um, so, and, and, and I, you know, we, we've talked about how people make risk decisions and, and, and their perception and, and, and how they make those individual risk management, 
um, choices. I, it's not that I blame her or don't blame her. If it's wrong or right. It just is. That's her decision making. And she's a, a you know person who's adjacent to this world. So she's, you know, she's choosing to eat other things um, for the most part. And I just, you know, I didn't really think about it. Um, we, I, I'm not aware of any data out there or research that shows that spinoff problem other than like when a, after the 2006 um, uh, E. coli 157H7 linked uh, spinach or spinach linked E. coli 157H7 outbreak, the the sales of spinach across the board dropped. Right. Um, but this is different. It's a it's like a category of foods, not not one product. Right. And I would imagine that uh, romaine drops when romaine is implicated, right. and tomatoes drop when tomatoes are implicated. But that that's that's a. I mean, I I don't want to judge another person's food choices, but I'm gonna I'm gonna judge it a little bit and say that doesn't that seems like an out of proportion reaction. I mean. Hey, her feelings are her feelings, right? Like if one thing's one thing we've learned from Roderick on the line, his feelings are real. Um, feelings are real. So, um, so yeah, by all means, do do what you need to do. But I um, and I wonder if she can point is so. All right, so I understand it's the category, but is it is it the cilantro? Is it the romaine? And if it's, that's the case, um, do you avoid other? Like, do you avoid getting salads that have romaine, right? Right, right. Um, or well, is it, or is it just you know Mexican style food, and does and does that also include uh, Taco Bell and or Del Taco or Cadoba or what have you, right? And and I let me I you know I don't know the full answer to this because we didn't jump into it too much, but what I got the sense from her was is it's it's the category because of all of these contributing illness like outbreaks and recalls of the types of products that are in these dishes, right? Like she kind of made it like, you know, if I think about my lunch today, I have a magnified risk of there's romaine, there's cilantro, there's avocado in the guacamole, there are tomatoes, um, all of these things wrapped up into one. It's, it's a, a riskier category in her mind than if we had had, um, a, uh, you know, an uh, Indian food that, that, that was, that was brought in as a buffet or, um, you know, the, the standard, um, you know, b- uh, conference lunch of like a pasta dish and some baked chicken, you know, that, that kind of thing. Well, and, and wrong or right. I think that was her, the, the, what she was kind of alluding to is like, there are, she was close enough to it to say, all of those things have been linked to illnesses. Mm-hmm. And if we put them all together into this category, maybe I'll just avoid the category because of the chance that all of those things individually have been linked to these illnesses. Right. But I guess I want to probe a little bit deeper and say, well, what if uh, at this same conference um, in the morning, one day they served avocado toast, which you right, reject right. that. And then for lunch, if they had a salad that had romaine and tomatoes in it, would you eat that salad, right? So, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know and, exactly and, gri- and, grill, and grilled chicken, right? Yep. Uh, but but it's not Mexican. It's just, the you know, so anyway, but the that's cons- fine. The we, components. We can, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, she kind of made it sound like this is the, the, the Mexican style or Tex-Mex style food is the coming together of all of these components that are higher risk right, individually. Right, right. And then I'm, let's magnify that risk by putting them all together. Right, so I don't know what's right. going to get me. But but I'm pretty sure, Ben, that's not the way risk works. I'm pretty right? sure. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I understand, yep. I understand the logic, but, but romaine is risky 
no matter Regardless. what food you eat it in, right? Now, now maybe yeah, your odds are high. If you have if you have ten foods and those ten foods are all risky, that's safer than going to another restaurant where there's ten other foods, but only two of them are quote unquote risky, right? Right. But right. yeah, but it's uh, yeah. It, it, anyway, whatever. We have pr- probably done enough. Uh, armchair analysis of this person that I didn't meet. <laughs> yeah, well, but but I thought it was an interesting, like it was another conversation that I had not really had before. It was a different perspective on this, well, right? I've never really heard someone say, I don't, you know, I typically wouldn't eat Moe's because of Chipotle. Right. <laughs> right. Now, like that's a weird, that's a weird thing. And, and so, for sure, I think about these things, right? I think about eating lettuce, right? And I think yeah. about, um, you know, eating risky ingredients. One thing I will say and I, I don't think I'm violating the NDA because I think you'd, you'd know it if you've ever been to Chipotle. One of the things that they refuse to compromise on for quality is they still source individual romaine heads right. and they prep them in the restaurant. Now, Ben, I don't know about you, but I really like a, a bowl of nice, fresh romaine that hasn't been chopped somewhere and and spun dry and put in a bag and sent across the country, right? It's a higher quality product. And I think it's a lower risk product, right? Because now, again, maybe you're you're dealing with the individual restaurant's ability to wash that. And again, they have technology to help with that. Um, but I would trust that more than no, pre-bagged salad, right? Just, just on a, on a even, uh, you know, just, just ge- generically one versus the other. I think the risk is smaller if the heads are prepared individually. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, so speaking of which, this is probably mm-hmm. a good, uh, um, a good segue. Um, since we're we're in Romaine, we're in Romaine country now. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a Consumer Reports. Um, publication about leafy greens last week uh so i'll send you this link then of course didn't think about putting this into the dropbox so you would be prepared to talk about it um but here you go um so it is uh uh, entitled leafy greens safety guide um and it's by kevin loria in an age of rampant romaine contamination can our salad be saved and it was a very in-depth article on food safety in, you know, in, in Romaine. So, so for like full disclosure, I got interviewed for this and quoted a couple of times in it, um, and, and reviewed a little bit for them. Um, there's a, a, some, some visuals at the bottom of the, um, the article about how greens become contaminated. Um, and so there's some, some stuff to mouse over. People got really upset about this, um, this article. Uh, on on Twitter, I don't know if you saw any. I I did say, I did see that it generated a lot of attention. Some people asked me about it. Um, I you know Consumer Reports. I I they're trying to do the right thing. I, I still worry sometimes they're a little bit out of their uh, out of their element when it comes to food safety. But you know they did they did hire my uh, graduate student at the time, uh, former PhD student Robin Miranda, to work and help them with some stuff. You know, work on their food safety you know, creds, um, and, and their food safety beat. Um, so that's good, but I, yeah. So why don't you, so I have not been following this closely. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your involvement and then also about the outrage and, and what, where you net out on all of that? Yeah. So, so my involvement was that I, I got interviewed by, by Kevin about it. They do it, it, you know, this is, it's a magazine, right? So it's a little bit different from, uh, most of the, uh, most of the interviews you do in, in print media for, for websites or for, um, 
for newspapers because usually you, do, I do, you know you do an interview and then the next day something shows up. And with magazines, largely some fact checker calls you, right? Right. And says yes. okay, let's get, this, let's get this right. Yeah, and, and, I, and I just yeah just to, just to quickly aside here, so I really like working with magazines on food safety stories because they they're not under time pressure, right? And so the 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 reporter will talk to you often at length. Um, and then they'll come back to you. And then before it, it goes to print, um, you, you will get a call from someone who's not the reporter who will check facts and check quotes with you. And that is a very like, sort of civilized process as opposed to this is for tomorrow's news and we're going to you know, we're going to get you to try to say something that's going to be quotable and then we're going to throw it in there. And then, you know, then we're and then the next day we're on to the next thing. So it really is a nice process to work with as as a scientist who talks to journalists. Yeah, no, I absolutely. And so, so that's, you know, that's how I got involved. I, I knew that it was going to be for a magazine. They said, okay, we've got a few uh, questions for you. Let's talk on the phone. I talked to, um, to Kevin, um, my, uh, you know, I'll give you my, my two quotes here, um, in context. Uh, so, um, the you know, a passage goes, how did leafy greens nutrient packed foods recommended by doctors and nutritions alike become so risky and why is romaine linked to so many of these outbreaks? And so then it, it you know, goes into, it comes down to the modern way we grow, harvest, and package our salad greens. Quote, there are many opportunities along the continuum from seed all the way to consumer's plate for greens to become contaminated, says Ben Chapman, PhD professor in food safety extension specialist at NC State University in Raleigh. Um, and then they go on to you know, talk about uh, the, the scope of, of, I guess, the magnitude of what happens. Part of the reasons greens in particular are so problematic is the sheer volume we're consuming. So they ship about 130 million servings per day all year long. And and I yeah, that's not background for me. Um, and then uh, they asked me a little bit about washing greens too. And so my other quote here is, although the washing process for packaged greens can remove up to 99% of bacteria as it's removing dirt and grit, food safety expert Chapman says even a small amount that remains may make you sick. Shigatoxin-producing E. coli has a very low infectious dose. Um, uh, as little as 10 microscopic cells are all it takes according to some estimates. Oh, it mm. says Rogers, and that's someone else. I don't even know who Rogers uh, yeah. well, right. Anyway, don't get me started, but anyway, oh, my, yeah. my feelings on infectious dose, it's one. The number, it's right. not, nine is not safe. One is not safe. The only number that's safe is zero. Nine yeah. is nine times riskier than one. Ten is ten times riskier than one. And then after that, you're on an exponential, you need an equation. But basically, when you're down at that low dose level, you don't want any. So anyway, yeah, yeah. sorry. So yeah, yeah, no, and that down. was that was the, uh, um, you know, so my part was it only takes a little a bit, a little amount. So yes. let's not put the, you know, washing isn't a panacea, right? Right. For the industry to say, hey, if everybody just wash their greens, then no one would get sick. It's no, it's not. That's not really the case. Um, so so anyway, what where the fallout I think came from, and and it surprises me a little bit because um, one of the people that they talked to is uh, John John Belts, I guess that's how I'd pronounce his name. He's someone that you and I have interacted with on Twitter before. He's a Leafy Greens uh, producer, and I think he came to my Twitter knowledge um, back around uh, uh, I think last year's. Salinas uh, Valley, Salinas Valley, however you say it, um, uh, outbreak linked to Romaine right before Thanksgiving in 2018. And so he was talking quite a bit about what it looks like on a farm and what to do. He's a farmer in Yuma, but that's where, where he came up. So they interviewed him a little bit. Um, he felt that he was misquoted or mis mischaracterized or not fully quoted um, and kind of went at um, 
consumer reports for that. And Scott Horsfall uh, from the Leafy Green Marketing Agreement. Also, I think um, he was quoted in here. I think just basically didn't they didn't get the whole uh, picture. And and this is the part you you led into this at the start um talking about consumer reports and anything that that we do in any sort of public communication any sort of media work is is there's a there's a slant right like there's a story for consumer reports to tell and you you've got to remember who consumer reports is to understand what that slant is and consumer reports it's in their name they are um a, a consumer advocacy group for all things that consumers buy it's not just food it's it's products and not getting you know that you know uh not getting into a situation where people are purchasing cars that are more expensive than they need to be and they do product reviews and 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 all that kind of stuff right their story to tell here and and i think that this is a it's a valid viewpoint to have i read this as People need to do more in food safety to make leafy greens safer. It's not good enough, right? Like that's the that's the subcontact the sub subtitle to this for me. And yeah, people but get it's, upset. But it's, yeah, and it's and it, here's the thing, Ben. It's not going to be good enough until no one's getting sick anymore. So yes, of course they need to get better. I don't think anybody in the right. industry is saying, yeah, it's good enough. We only we only made a couple hundred people sick this year. No, I don't think anybody right, is right. saying that, right? But I do think that the that that there are folks out there that are saying you're not telling enough about what we are doing, right? To make it to make it safer, and and to be like on both sides to to dither and equivocate. Um, I I can see, I I can see the um, the straw man argument on the on the consumer report side, which is okay. Show me some data. Is 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 romaine lettuce safer than it was ten years ago? Less safe, and and what? You know, so you're doing a lot of stuff, but are we having? What what are your what what would you say would be a good measurement? And then show me some data that that backs that up. And and I think that that's where the conversation kind of ends because I think we on the food industry side of things can often say, well, there aren't really good ways to measure this. Well, and, and I would say, and again, this is an analogy that I like to use and I'll keep using it, is, is the, the Red Queen, right? Like the yes, Red Queen yes. from Alice in Wonderland is running as fast as she can to stay in the same place. And we cannot, well, we could, maybe with the right models, we could do a 10 years ago versus now comparison. But the problem is, is that our, our, our epidemiology has gotten better, right? Whole genome sequencing or next generation sequencing has enabled us to find smaller and smaller outbreaks or outbreaks that previously would have flown underneath the radar. And so uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that we are safer than 10 than we are t- than we were 10 years ago. I didn't haven't done the analysis to show that, but but I uh, you know, but I could we could we could begin to start to think about how to do that, right? We have CDC data, we we can make some estimates about uh, pulse field and its abilities versus, you know, next generation sequencing um and, and we could we could, you know, we could come to some conclusion. But but let me before we completely before I let you finish, I just want to state that my hypothesis is that we get people get sick from romaine for one, I don't know about primary reason, but it's definitely up there in the reasons. The reason why people get sick from romaine is we eat a butt ton of romaine. Yeah. That yep. is the main driver, right? 131 million servings a day, right? right. Whatever wow. it is. Wow. It's insane. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Exposure, right? Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and relatively speaking, and this is, I mean, it's a very similar conversation I had with the person about the Chipotle versus Moe's thing. Um, 
and and I you know I've said this on the podcast and I say it a lot in interviews, and, and it's how it has really helped me put this into perspective to try and describe it. We we have we eat billions of servings of food a day, and only millions of servings of food a year make us sick, right? Like like that's that's important to to think about, and so so you have this exposure is so high, you've got more of a chance. I mean, all of that stuff, yeah. What and I want to go back to one of the things that you said on the analysis. The the data is out there. I agree with you that that all of the things that we're doing now that we weren't doing before because we know more about it and because our epidemiology is better and we're focusing more. It, we we are doing things in a more in a safer way. It's not really up to you and I to do that analysis. I, you know, I, I, as as a consumer, or even as someone who's in the food safety world, to to make these risk comparisons, I, I do think that this is where the and the industry gets real defensive about this. But I do think it's up to up to them to 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 demonstrate to to come up with what the right things are to measure to do the work um, to to demonstrate that they're doing a better job than they were that has some sort of outcome, and or say you know what. We're doing all these things, and it's really hard to measure whether we're doing a better job or whether we have an outcome that's that's better. So we don't know, but we're doing all these things now because it's the right right way to do it. I, I feel like the um, uh, the often industry in, industry industry quotations. <laughs> I don't know what just happened there. <clears throat> often their comments are. Um, uh, don't go that next step. I think they say, yeah, we, here's all the great things that we're doing. And, and it, and it misses the second step of, and we're measuring to know whether it matters and, and it does, or it doesn't, or we don't, or we don't yet know or, or whatever. And that, because I think they're very, and, and I'll, I'll generalize this a lot. I think people are afraid of saying that. I think they're afraid of, of looking bad. And so the, the online conversation that says, oh, they got this wrong. I, I often remember stuff like from, you know, early on in, in my food safety, um, beginnings that, that goes down to risk communication. And if you have a story to tell, you need to tell it first before someone else does. And you can't wait for consumer reports to tell your story for you. Cause they've got a different slant than you do. Yep. Right. Yep. So you can't, you know, you, you can, you gotta be part of the conversation, but you also need to be able to point to, to your data that says, yeah, this is working better than it, than it ever was before. Um, so, and, yeah. and, and let me also say, like, if somebody talks bad about you on a podcast, um, you should invite them <laughs> to come in and tell them what you're doing because Absolutely. it really worked for me. And, and again, it was, this was not a, this was not a one-off thing. Like, like Carrie approached me and said, Hey, let's talk at IAFP. And then she's like, you know, we really want to have you in. And, and they, they just, they did, a, they did a really, really good job. And so, I, you know, I, I would say. Yeah, I mean, and so, so yeah. So, what's the solution for leafy greens, folks? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, if you have if you have specific problems with what Consumer Reports wrote, you should write a rebuttal, right? But but don't just get like all butt hurt because they just said bad stuff, right? Like yes. like what specifically is bad about what they wrote, and then and then and then and then check the facts, right? And and yeah. and realize that there are maybe things where people have a difference of opinion, right? About, about scientific things like people. And again, this is something I think that maybe regular folks that aren't uh, practicing scientists um, don't, aren't, aren't as, as aware of, but 
like science is hard and it's complicated, right? And I see this every time uh, I'm, a, I'm a journal editor, right? And I, I, there was a paper that I rejected the other day where it was a resubmission and um, reviewer said one said it's fine and reviewer two said, well, it's fine, but they didn't really answer the things that I asked them to answer. And reviewers three said, absolutely, they did not, they did not address what I asked them to address. And so I think it should still be rejected. And so I rejected it. And I got a letter from the authors today that basically said, well, we think that reviewer three is wrong and we think that we can, we can rebut this. I'm like, okay, so, you know, you can appeal it again, but it's going to go back to reviewer three again. So you really, and, and it wasn't, and again, we've, we've talked, we talked earlier today about similar experiences that all of us have had. And it's not, it's not a matter, like I'm, I am perfectly willing to overrule reviewer three if I think reviewer three is full of crap, right? Because that's my job as editor. Right? I'm, not a, I'm not a dumb robot um, that's just looking at responses. But I read what reviewer three wrote and, you know, reviewer three is right. Like they didn't do a good job of addressing the comments, right? And so, well, then, so there you go. And that's, and th- this is not even talking about something where we have non-scientists and business people and the news media involved. This is just scientists communicating to each other and we still don't agree. So, of course, it's going to be more complicated when, when, it's, when it's other people that, that, that aren't even thinking like scientists. You get all the other, you know, angles rolling into this. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I guess before we leave this, I'm, I'll, I'll, lead, I'll read from, um, from the article um, about something that Scott Horsfall uh, said. So he said, people within the industry are making ongoing efforts to improve the situation. Um, and then Consumer Reports actually links back to an article that they wrote back in March uh, related to what the Leaf and Green Marketing uh, uh, Agreement's doing. So he's, in his quote is, we're doing everything we – as." everything we can as an industry, said Scott Horsfall, CEO of the California Leafy Greens Marketing Agreement. It's a very important and efficient system for the most part, but we are very focused on eliminating the illnesses that do occur. Upwards of 97% of leafy greens growers in Arizona and California now follow the standards set by LGMA, which include mandatory inspections to ensure they're following standards through the results of these, uh, though the results of these audits are not public. And, and, you know, and then they talk about specific standards, um, that that happen here, and and I guess what I'm what I'm interested in, and this is this this is something I'll, that I'll pose to you from a risk assessment standpoint, right? So so if we look at um, listeria risk assessments that that go back that you were you've been involved with, right? Going back you know 15 or 20 years, as we make strides forward in changing technologies and putting in different interventions and then following up with surveys, um, microbial surveys on what's out there, I think we're able to demonstrate that that the risk of listeria from deli meats has gone down. They're still they're still riskiest uh, you know food category, but all of the things that are put in place, we we can model and, and suggest that yeah yeah this is we're we're seeing th- there's less exposure um, in this in this process, and I still feel like that that same process is missing in leafy greens. Like I I don't think um, and and you thing here, but that's the kind of metric that I would want to see that that helps complete the story, right? Here's here's a way that we've calculated risk and and we've changed a lot of things and in our and it's spitting out a different risk calculation now 
Well, who's and who's going to do that, right? Is that something Leafy Greens uh, LGMA is going to do, or right? I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 but so, so I guess someone needs to do that, right? Yeah, somebody should. And you know, hey, LGMA, if you're listening and you and you want to fund somebody to do a retrospective risk assessment uh, that looks at risk then versus risk now, you know, um, I I know a guy, uh, and 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 a gal uh, that could probably help you with that. Um, yep. So we could we could help. Um, you know what I, what I what I want to come back to, and maybe this will take us on a tangent, uh, but is that paragraph where Scott is quoted? It ends with the statement though the results of these audits are yeah. not public. And that's yep. that's obviously Consumer Reports editorializing a little bit. Um, and I think that this is something that the industry really doesn't like. They don't like that stuff like that get publicized. And I, I, this harkens back to some work that I did for National Academy of Sciences on uh, basically – um, the studying whether USDA FSIS should release inspection results from inspecting meat and poultry uh, facilities. And of course, the industry, Ben, you can guess, are not in favor of that because, well, right. it's complicated and people don't know how to interpret it. And what they also are not saying is, and people are going to, it's going to make us look bad, right? Because it's going to show that we're not all perfect. But, you know, and this, this kind of takes us back to the scores on doors, uh, you know, and pub posting of health inspections, right? It's like people, people don't want their dirty laundry out there in public, but uh, people, you know, consumers really do seem to want that. And so uh, I don't know, I, it would be interesting to have a discussion with LGMA to say, well, hey guys, um, uh, what would you think about making those results public, right? Right, right. And, uh, and but is, I, but yeah. I can tell you that, that they don't want to. They for sure don't want to do that, for sure. Nope. Agreed, agreed. And they, yeah. And, and uh, this is, I, I think this is this is all part of part of this trying to tell the story, right? Um, and and uh, Chana Rock, who um, who who we've uh, we've talked a little bit about on on the podcast, and we know uh, of her through a couple of different people, and have met her acquaintance on on the internet, um, but not in person. Um, she's quoted at the end of this article um, because they mentioned a um, Arizona Cooperative Extension project looking at um, water. Um, she said there's no such thing as zero risk, which you know it's a great. Yep, uh, absolutely. That's that's where you and I are. Um, I, I think with the industry and, and without, I, I guess, without knowing exactly how they view it, part of the things that they want, want to, they want people to think is that we are really, really, really low risk. And if we start telling people about these audits and make them more public, then like, like you said, they, people may not understand and there'll be a perception that it's riskier than, than what it really is. <laughs> but it, it's hard. It's, I don't know. It's hard for me to, to, to get behind that when, when I also very much agree with, yeah, let's just start with, there's no such thing as zero risk. Let's start talking about how we are doing as, uh, as best we can. And here's data to, to back it up. And here's a retrospective risk assessment. And here's, here's what we, um, you know, here, here are all the inputs that we collected that help us, uh, on this, uh, you know, kind of, kind of tell this story. And part of that is demonstrating what these audit results show. And, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we've we've talked many times on this podcast about how audits are not perfect either, right? Right. Um, and and there's audit to auditor to auditor, 
you know, differences and they're, they're you know, and again, and we, we can make the, the link back to restaurants and again, you know, some of the stuff that Chipotle is doing to kind of try to look at health department inspection results versus what, when they have their own auditors in and trying to normalize that and figure out like, what are the risky restaurants? And then, and they're doing, again, without getting into too much detail, they're doing some really clever stuff where they realize that if, if a restaurant is having a food safety problem, um, Maybe it's not just food safety people need to go to the restaurant, right? Maybe we need to get HR involved because maybe it's hiring practices or right. retention practices. And I was like, oh my God, yes, you guys, that's it, right? It's not It's not just about food safety. It's about like th- this restaurant is, is, is a, a off the baseline in terms of whatever metric you want, right? How can we get that restaurant to be better or be as good as our other restaurants because because it looks like there's there's some flags here and it might just not be coming in and having the manager you know watch a video about how to make food safe right maybe it's 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 problems that are not related to food safety that are causing you know him to not have rel- or her to have reliable employees in the restaurant and so it and then just and that kind of thinking that's like really what what maybe give me such such uh uh good feeling about Chipotle is that, oh, wow, yeah, you know what? We actually, it's not just about education. It's not just about telling people the same thing over and over again, uh, because they, they may be stuck in a, they may be stuck in a system that's, that's driving the wrong behaviors and, and we, and food safety is not going to fix that. The system, the overall whole system, I hit my microphone. I got so excited. (laughs) The overall whole system has to fix that. Right. And and that kind of thinking, you know, it was, it's just like, oh yes, that's it. Yes. So anyway. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And, and, and we have to, uh, I guess, step back, you know, when, when you talk about the overall whole system has to, has to fix it. The, the thing that, that I think about is we have to step back from the traditional way that we're even going to talk about it. Right. Right. Like, like it, it's not just how we're addressing it, but it's also how, yeah, we know that there are risks associated with this. Not only like, you know, we're doing, you know, go back to Scott Horace Falls quote, we're doing everything we can as an industry. Okay. What does that mean? Right. Like, 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 like tell well, me more and about are, and are, are everything you, you can. And are you really doing everything that right. you can? Right. That's, that's not, I, that's not a, that's not a risk-based statement. Right. Cause if yes. you were doing everything that you can, you probably wouldn't have time to talk to consumer reports. You know, if you were doing everything you can, lettuce should be 10 times more expensive, right? So let's, let's be careful about how we use words to talk about things because, you know, you can say we're working really hard. You can say that we're doing more this year than we did last year, but I'm not sure we're doing everything we can is actually a useful statement. Agreed. At one one thousand <laughs> percent, Ben. I don't right. know if you know how percents work. I, they don't go uh, to one thousand. Four four hundred thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's. I mean that that's that's exactly it. And and it's those are. I I hate to pick apart one person's quote because we don't know what the rest of that conversation is. And this is a good quote from the narrative, right? Of what Consumer Reports is is trying to trying to uh, put together. But what does that, yeah, what does that mean? And and it's, you know, his, his next line is, it's a very it, it's a very important and efficient system for the most part, but we are very focused on eliminating the illnesses that do occur. I should hope so. Uh, yeah, but, but that's good talk. What does that even, what does it mean? 
Yeah. What, what, what do you, what, what is, and, and, and the thing is like, I, and you, we've talked about the L, you know, LGMA quite a bit, um, in previous podcasts and I'll go look, you know, on their website, we can link to this right now. They put out a, a press release about, um, requiring their members to treat water. And we asked a bunch of mem- uh, questions about what does that even mean? How are you going to treat it with what, at what concentrations? And, and their answer was soon come, man, soon come, soon come. <laughs> right. Like you gotta work on your Jamaican mod. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, that was that was terrible. Can you? Uh, we'll fix that someone, in post. <laughs> can you fix that in post for me? This is yours. Let's just redo <laughs> that one. Uh, but yeah, you know, so so some of it's there, but but the details aren't right, right. <laughs> and and that some of that that's that's frustrating. You know what? Here you go. We got we got folks. Um, let's. Let, this is an open call. Scott, if you want to come be a um, a, 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 a guest on Food Safety Talk, come join us. Uh, Chana, um, we'll, we'll put the call out if you want to join us because you're you're closer to this world than we are. Come join us. Let's talk about this because um, I you know I think we have some we've got questions and and we can pontificate about it. But but I, I you know I think it would be useful to have this dialogue. And then we can do another uh, guest guest uh, conversation. What Absolutely. do you think? I think that's great. Um, I think, uh, you know, we need to, the problem is, Ben, we have listener feedback. I have one more thing I want to talk about. Um, I'm, I, I just, uh, we just, I just, we just need to do like more podcasts because we're, or let's we do have, another one. <laughs> we should do a third, we'll do a third podcast. Or we should do more of this podcast. Maybe. Okay, well, we can do that too. Okay, anyway, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel I feel bad, right? I want to sit here and I want to talk with you. I want to riff on stuff that's going on. I want to answer people's questions. Oh, and I really, I do want to also, well, so this is like, you know, the, the other company that I was um, talking about that I want to, I want to, um, that I visited that I, that I did not sign an NDA for because uh, they're, they're too small to know that they need to ask for an NDA. Um, and I want to uh, revisit, uh, or I want to, I want to visit with you about my visit to Taylor Cut. Yes. So when, when we, okay. Is that the last thing you want to talk about? Before? That's the last thing I have on my let's, list besides listener it. feedback. So yeah. So yeah. tell me about, tell me about your, your trip to, to Taylor produce. Okay. Yeah. So Taylor, Taylor, cut, Taylor, Taylor, cut, Taylor, 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 at, cut. Taylor is in the kind of person that fixes your suits. Okay. Taylor cut, not, not Taylor fresh or something, which is a different company entirely. This is a small women owned woman owned business in North Brunswick, New Jersey, that has been around for, I'm going to say 15 years um, or so. It was started by a chef. Um, he passed away, and the company is now run by his wife. And I walked into her office, and immediately um, I had a good feeling because I looked up on the wall and I saw a diploma from Cornell University. And so like um, immediately I became her friend because I'm also. <laughs> I'm also a graduate. I'm also an Ivy League graduate, Ben. Um, uh, you know how you tell somebody from the Ivy League who's gone to an Ivy League school? They're also don't worry. They're, don't worry. They're going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. They, they also do CrossFit. That, that's a joke, right? Oh no. Someone, no I, how do you know if someone does CrossFit? Oh, oh they'll tell you. They'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she graduated from uh, the hotel school. Um, uh, not from food science. Uh, and we had a nice, we had a nice short chat about that. But, um, so basically what this company, uh, does did and does is they do custom 
processing tailor cut like literally oh. like you could, yeah so that's tailored the, to your needs tailored to your As needs a- and they they will they don't sell leafy greens because why they cannot compete right they, they are looking for customers that want a specific hand cut just in time product right like they don't have long shelf lives they 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 literally cut everything to order right i mean they have some standard things that they do um for people like they have you know a certain number of skus and they have it they but but if like you don't want what they have you tell them what you want and they'll do that for you right like if you want the green beans cut this way instead of that way or you want the apple chunks to be cut this way instead of that way um or 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 carrots this way instead of that way they'll do it right they they will literally yeah so Really clever idea. Um, uh, Family-owned company. A uh, lot of people uh, like walked. So it's in a in a section of North Brunswick with a large Latino community. Most of their workers are Latinos. Many walk to work. Many have worked in the company for you know ten years. They're on their second generation of workers, right? Like so, this is a company that really prides itself on doing the right thing. They have highly skilled workers that are in there. Um, it's not a big building. It's an old building. They're actually looking at moving to a new building, which is which is really exciting um, for them. They're very excited about that. Um, and they uh, they just they just got got, right? Like they 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 had some product that was problematic that they used. They prepped that product and that pushed that contamination through um, and it made some people sick. Now they have, they the FDA, they did tell me FDA came into their facility and they did a ton of product samples and a ton of swabs, did not find salmonella on any of those swabs. So whatever the problem was, it's in, it's out, it's not there. So I'm, huh. I'm highly confident that if they, if they had a systemic environmental problem, FDA would have found it because FDA knows how to do that, right? Um, they did. They have changed some of the things that they've done. They've they've gone to um, like improved sanitation programs. They're doing a better job about checking uh, chlorine concentrations, um, and and so they 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 have they have made some significant changes. But they were like, yeah, we screwed up. Like they totally they, they totally owned it. Like we made some mistakes, and we we're doing a bunch of things to fix it. And you know we're we'll we'll you know we'll, we'll we're gonna keep we're gonna keep doing doing what we need to do to, to fix this problem. Um, so I said after the visit, I said, you know, because um, the reason why we're in there to visit is that they they didn't sell the recalled product uh, to Rutgers, but they are uh, a vendor of ours. And so huh. we, we went in uh, with the uh, that's how we were able to get permission to go in. Right. And so I after the thing, I said to the sanitarian, I said, look, I'm satisfied. Right? I came in here expecting to bust their balls and basically, um, you know, their ping pong balls <laughs> um, uh, and, 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 and find all their problems and, and tell them they weren't doing things right. And I didn't, I pushed, right. I pushed hard. I asked probing questions and they had answers for everything. And so I was really, and again, I feel a little bit for these guys cause they're a small company, like family owned and all that, but they, you know, they got religion, right. They, they, they screwed up and they're, they're making it better. Right. And so I, yeah. So I, anyway, it was, it was, just, it was a really interesting uh, visit and not, it went in a way that was not at all the way that I thought it would go. Huh. That's cool. That's good. I mean, that's always good to, to have that situation where you're like, Hmm, this, uh, this went better than, yeah. than I anticipated. Um, yeah, well, well, it's good. I mean, that's good. Good to hear. Um, and, and I'm, I, as you were telling that story, I was thinking back to, um, 
my like first experience in real like food safety visiting with a business that had um, this this goes back like I mean almost 20 years now. Um, but the you know part of the stuff that I did when I was in grad school was working with this the greenhouse industry in Ontario, and um, we had this proactive sampling. Uh, program for them. And, and then um, the provincial government was also doing sampling uh, across the industry, just, you know, ran, you know sort of not randomly, but, but like looking, uh, lo- looking for um, places to, to put resources and this small farm, um, small greenhouse in central Ontario uh, had a, a, a positive salmonella on one of their tomatoes. And I remember going into their farm um, in, you know, into the greenhouse with the, with a guy from the ministry of agriculture to talk to them about what it meant. And, and just seeing the, like, I guess, sheer, um, uh, uh, how upset they were that this food safety issue could ruin their business and, and what, what do they need to do to fix it? And give them all the, um, all the information of, uh, that what, you know, no, no, no recommendations were were too much. Like they just whatever we need to do. We don't want to ever have this happen again. Um, it it is interesting because that's not what I expected when I when I went in there. It's, it's you know kind of a similar situation to what you what you experienced. And and they'd already had FDA there, right? Like they'd already been through the the okay. Um, here's here we we have a problem. Here's here here you need to fix it, kind of thing. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so I, I, yeah. I have uh, I have a hard out at three. Two. Oh, I got a hard okay. out at two forty five. Oh, oh, that which is in two minutes. So, which is in two minutes. So, so we should probably start show. And, and that's a show. But but we. So what I think we need to do is promise the listeners that we'll do our next show will just be all listener feedback because we didn't do any of that. Yep. And and and, and like try to schedule something really soon. What do you think about that? I think that sounds great. So uh, this one is mine, uh, but I was late putting out the last one that was mine. So you need to put out the one before before this one, which is yours. Um, It's ready to go. And we're and we're already into the after dark. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, we can. Well, how about we do this? We'll say, okay, Don. Bye. Bye.
All right, now we're in the, <laughs> now we're in the after dark. Um, yeah, so sorry for oh, I no. couldn't move the thing that I got to. Oh, no, no, that's fine. I, I forgot I had this 3 o'clock uh, thing for FSPCA, so. You're good. Um, so I, um, uh, let's, when do you want to do this again? Um, well, when do you want to do it again? Uh, you want to do something like, oh, we can't do it. We can't do it two weeks from today. Cause you're hockey. Yeah. But would, do you want to do it like next week sometime? Sure. If we can fit it. Yeah. So I could do something like, next Wednesday from one till three. Um, I cannot do that because I have a biosafety university biosafety committee meeting. I think I can do it almost any time on, on Tuesday. I think I'm, I got to go to Asheville, but I think I'm only oh. going on Monday night. So, so two Tuesday, wait a minute, the 11th. Uh, Tuesday, the 11th. Unfortunately I am in Philly for the, uh, kneecaps annual meeting. Okay. I cannot do it the 14th next Friday. How about Thursday? Next, yeah, Thursday's a little problematic. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's like I have I, I don't have a big enough Yeah. I got a I got a guest lecture and I don't have a big enough window between the things that I have to do it. Um what about Okay, well now we're looking at, at two weeks. Yeah, this week's kind of a wash. All right. So the what about right after writing buddies on the 18th? Oh no, you're flying. Yep. That wasn't that's not going to work. Uh, uh, Wednesday the 19th is good. Thursday the 20th is good. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, 19th is not good cause I'm still traveling. Uh, 20th, uh, I could do the 20th, uh, but it has to be, yeah, we gotta, we gotta fit it in. So when you tell me, uh, I'm, I have to total flexibility on the 20th. Uh, let's do, uh, yeah, I, I need to, yeah, let's do noon. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. And I've got a got I've got a, a two o'clock call, but it's with Caitlin, and that can be rescheduled if we need to push it. Okay, and I have I mean, if we need to move it up, or I I literally have nothing. Okay, cool, cool. All right, that's a go. And I will. This one's yours. Yep. If your audio is weird, let me know. Okay. Uh, there were a couple places where you dropped out, but I I think it's it's okay. Okay. Cool. And you'll right, you'll so you'll work on the next one, and I'll work yeah, on this one. And so, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Just got to drop I'll it probably, in. Cool. Yeah, I'll probably put it up like. You know, you put this like maybe Friday or next Monday. Okay. Because that gives us kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can, why don't I put it up this week and then you can put this one up next week and okay. then we'll have a, you know, yeah, something like that. That's fine. That's cool. Fine. Um, oh, and I got a bunch of titles, which I will send you via text right now. Perfect. And, and if, I only have one title that is, um, where is it? Uh, they're ping pong balls, <laughs> which is what you just said. And I thought it was really funny. Cool, I'll add that to the list. All right. Cool. All right. Cool. Have a All good right. meeting. Talk to, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.